Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have questions on how to teach the church to read the Bible. Scott, I don't know about you, but a couple weeks ago when we did this How to Teach the Church to Read the Bible webinar, I had a great time, and I thought much of what you said was insightful and helpful, Um, and I was also really impressed by the number of questions uh, that came our way. I don't know if you had the same feelings or not. Well, yes, it is a a dynamic uh, issue of how to read the Bible, and it's complicated by a couple things. I mean, pastors are Bible readers, preachers are Bible readers, teachers are Bible readers, but getting lay people to read the Bible is seemingly a big challenge for many. And one of the things pastors and church leaders are looking for are methods or categories or even terms that will help people read the Bible. And so I think that was behind a lot of what was going on in the um, big numbers of people who were interested in the topic and the number who came to Northern's website as a result. So yes, and then the questions themselves uh, are are very stimulating questions and probably a half a dozen or more of them could be entire podcasts. So yeah. these are these are big questions, big topics and fun to think about. Yeah. And so here's how today's going to work. I've got the list of questions in front of me and it's just going to be kind of like a rapid fire lightning session where I'll throw it up to Scott and he'll give it his best answer and, and we'll keep moving along. I will let you know if you haven't had a chance to check out the webinar, um, I'm going to include a link in our show notes to where you can go on to Northern's website, seminary.edu, find the webinar. And if you'd like to watch it, maybe, maybe even pause the podcast and before jumping back into these questions. You can uh, listen to the first half of what these questions came from. You can do that at that link, like I said, in the show notes, and just register, and you'll get an email to the replay of the webinar for you to watch on demand. So, all right, well, we can go ahead and jump in. If you're ready, Scott, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. All Let's right, go. here we go. Let's start uh, with this first question from... Um, Raposa. And Raposa asks, how do we address those who struggle with the deconstruction that comes along with reading the Bible and learning the historical context surrounding the ancient texts? Well, I'm not entirely uh, sure, but I think I know what this person is asking about deconstruction. Deconstruction has a technical meaning, but I think what's happening uh, here is people who... uh, you help me out here, Chaz. I think it's people who, when they learn about historical context and see the enlivening dimension of the meaning of a text, let's just say we learn about Jewish practices on food, and then we hear Paul talking about food in Romans fourteen fifteen, or we learn about purity laws and we see Jesus Uh, pushing against some of these at times in the Gospels. And all of a sudden we think, man, now I understand the Bible so much better. And then the next question comes along is, how can I understand the Bible if I don't become a historian? Right, 
Right. Is that, do you think that's what they're asking? You know, I think that as well as, I wonder if it's kind of the um, textual criticism element as well. You, you start to get in and, and look at some of the different elements of textual criticism, and naturally it does raise some questions. But when you, I think, and there are people who go different directions with their yeah. interpretation and understandings of the findings, but I think if you remain faithful, you can see a more accurate and even really even more impressive common collection of what we have for the scriptures. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with the first one on sure. historical context and you know just knowing about history. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing I would want to say is this: is uh, it has been a strong feature since the Reformation uh, that that the average person can open up the Bible and read it and understand the basic message. This is called, in technical language, the perspicuity and perspicacity of Scripture. So there is um, there is this belief, uh, and it's probably connected to the priesthood of all believers in some ways, but there was a, an elevation of, of lay people uh, understanding the Bible better uh, in the Reformation and wanting lay people to have access to the Bible in the Reformation that was not a characteristic of the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. which is why we have the Protestant movement. So uh, I want to say that in the history of the church, what the Protestant leaders thought, the reformers, about perspicacity is very important in two ways. Number one, you can say to any person in your church with an average intelligence that you can read the Bible and you can get the big ideas. You know what the Bible's about. You know, God, uh, there, there is a God who created, there is a God who established a relationship with human beings in covenant through Abraham. You know, we can pick up the narrative and you can get the big picture. Mm-hmm. However, the perspicuity and perspicacity of Scripture has a limitation. It doesn't say that everybody can read the Bible and understand everything that is said. And it's important to understand this. Uh, even Peter said he had trouble comprehending what Paul says. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, if Peter had trouble understanding Paul, uh, imagine what ordinary people in Rome uh, thought when Phoebe was reading the book of Romans to him uh, the first time. I'm sure uh, they were pushing their little uh, buttons saying, what in the world is he talking about? And they may have been asleep by the time he got to Romans chapter 12. Mm-hmm. So my my belief is, number one, is that the average person can understand the basic message of the Bible simply by reading it, but that lay people need instructors and teachers. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that specialists, that professionals, that people trained in biblical study will be able to comprehend and teach and talk about uh, that ordinary lay people will not be able to. And that's okay. This is why one of the gifts in the church is teachers and pastors. Mm -hmm. This is their responsibility to instruct the lay people. However, and I would want to add this, I would want to add that, that it is the responsibility of good teachers not to make ordinary people feel like they can't understand the Bible if they're not, if they're not, if that teacher is not in their presence guiding them. Mm-hmm. That is a big mistake. Mm-hmm. We want to not only teach people 
what the Bible says, but in the process, help them see that they could see the same thing at times if they would do the same kind of work. And so one of the things that I learned, to, I learned, and I learned this from Warren Wiersbe, I believe. If not, at least I blame it on Warren Wiersbe <laughs> and giving him, I give him credit for it all the time. And that is, um, I think we can say, look, you know, it's, it's right here in your Bible. Open your Bible. You can see this. You can see that if you read Leviticus and then you read uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 15 or Mark chapter 7, you can see these uh, exactly what's being said here. It, mm-hmm. it, this is not secret knowledge that only right. specialists can have. Right. So I think it's important for leaders to do that. So I think the deconstruction is the fear that if we don't understand the historical context, we can't understand the Bible. No. If we don't understand the historical context, we will understand the basics of the Bible, but the historical context will shed light and make our understandings more precise. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think the something I came across recently in a conversation with a guy from Tyndale who they're working on, and it's really already out, the Immerse uh, Bible reading um, Bible version. So it's not a study Bible, but it's it's designed to be a reading Bible, where I think you actually even maybe mentioned it in the webinar where they stripped out all of the chapter verses, chapters yeah. and verses that can sometimes make it feel a little more intimidating and really try to make it aesthetically more reader friendly. And mm-hmm. one of the things he pointed out that I thought was fascinating, if you went to study Homer's Iliad, let's just say, you wouldn't jump in to looking at all of the etymology of the different words that were used to move the story along. If you had no knowledge of the story, you just sit down and read the story. And I think sometimes in our churches, we can rush people so fast to get in and doing deep study, uh, including the historical context, when just like you said, it's important just if if there's no perception of the, the whole stories, just sit down and read it. And that will get you far in, and in helping you have a, a foundation and framework when you hear deeper study, maybe from a, a preacher or teacher. Or pastor, you know something that I that I uh, find very interesting, and that is when I um, when I came of age as a Bible interpreter, word studies were very important, mm-hmm. and I have done in my life many many word studies of the Bible. What I find is that this uh, word studies are actually one of the most advanced elements of biblical study. You would think it would be simplistic to study the meaning of a word, Mm -hmm. but it's not. You have to know the Greek word or the Hebrew word or the Aramaic word. You not only have to know the Greek word because these early Christians were reading the Old Testament in Greek far more often than in Hebrew or Aramaic. You have to know how that word was used in their lexicon, their Old Testament, Mm -hmm. because they didn't have a dictionary. Mm -hmm. And they they grew accustomed to that meaning of that Greek word because they knew that Hebrew or Aramaic word behind. And all of a sudden, it gets really complex. And we have to recognize that an individual author or an individual, uh, let's say the Apostle Paul is using a word, and Paul may use it in Galatians and Romans in one way and a slightly different way later. It's not like you can look up the basic meaning in a dictionary is you have to pay attention to a lot of nuances. Now, I know we got to get back to the next question, right. but but what I'm saying is is that uh, I don't 
I don't even know that many seminary students who graduate with a sophisticated understanding of how to do word studies. Mm-hmm. And, and where I would, I, I would say they're really competent at this. I think most pastors rely upon dictionaries and word study books to derive meanings on specific words. Uh, so uh, Bible study is intense and it is intricate, but lay people can understand the basic ideas. Sure. Yeah. And you're right. We can't spend that much, much time on every question. We won't get to any of them. So we'll go to the next one here from Nathan, where he asks, what are the best resources available that help people connect the important dots of the Bible? So I know in the webinar, you mentioned a number of resources, but I wonder if you have anything in particular that could help Nathan with helping people connect the dots of the Bible. Okay. I want you to read that question again, Chaz. Is this for lay people or for pastors? Um, yes, I would say for lay people. What, what are the best okay. resources available that help people, and I would assume lay people, connect the important dots of the Bible? Well, I will start with some big picture. Uh, let, let's start with, uh, this is not for lay people, N.T. Wright's book, The New Testament and the People of God. This is a narrative approach to the Bibles, uh, to the Bible itself. So that's a sophisticated treatment. Um, Tom Wright has made that more accessible time after time in his other books, like Surprised by Hope and um, his more popular books on Paul. And he's got a new book coming out, a brand new book on Paul. Um, so I would say N.T. Wright has done this. Um, I would say William Webb's redemptive movement, a uh, redemptive hermeneutic book, uh, why, uh, women, slaves, and homosexuals, I think it's called understanding the redemptive hermeneutic is an example. Uh, I do this in two of my books in King Jesus gospel. I talk about the narrative. I have a few page summary of the Bible's big narrative. And I also develop it in Kingdom Conspiracy, where I talk about Plan A, Plan B, and and the second Plan A, which I now tend to discuss as theocracy, monarchy, and Christocracy. Uh, But those are are categories that that, uh, I think are, are simple enough for people to understand. But I don't know of an accessible, calm, readable, survey of the Bible story written just for lay people. Um, And there is probably a need for someone to do that. Uh, There are some books that bring in the narrative, and I'm not convinced that we need a 400-page book on this. I'm more convinced that we need um, a 100-page book on this kind of topic that, you know, a sort of how to read the Bible's story for all it's worth. That's a title of a book that somebody could write. for Zondervan, of course, because Howard uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart wrote How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. So um, I think we need an, a very simple, uh, clear explanation of the Bible's basic narrative. But uh, there are some treatments out there that I think will help people. Okay. So here's a, a follow-up from Joshua. He asks, have you had any success teaching people to read the Bible in different ways? For example, devotionally, um, contemplative, for knowledge, and etc." cetera. Uh, have I had any success? Um, you know, I'm a seminary professor, so, and I was a Bible uh, college teacher, so I, I tended to teach things in more of an academic setting, and that makes a difference. I don't often teach 
Sunday school classes where we would do this sort of thing. But uh, I think my experience is that people tend to gravitate to the kind of reading that is most meaningful to them. Uh, so, for instance, I think a lot of people have learned to read the Bible devotionally. And that is, you know, I don't know how all of them do it, but they'll have a, they'll be reading a passage in Scripture. Maybe they're using our daily bread as a prompt, or they're just reading the Bible. Some people might be using the lectionary, uh, uh, but they'll read a passage and they'll meditate on it and God will speak to them and they'll be quite happy with how they're reading the Bible and they're reading it daily or they're reading it often. Other people will read Lexio. And I was in a, a conference yesterday in Wichita with Jan Johnson and James Brian Smith, Keith Kreisler. And um, Jan Johnson said she loves, she loves Anglican churches because as the scripture is being read, she's doing Lexio. Lexio Divina is a way of reading the Bible so that um, you begin to listen to what God is speaking to you directly. Now, there are other people who prefer to read the Bible uh, more academically. And a lot of these sorts of people are not so tied into or vested in or interested in Lexio or devotional reading. And I think probably one of the things that we emphasize is that we need to become people who read the Bible in various ways rather than just one way. Sometimes academics can read a passage um, and have absolutely no comprehension mm -hmm. of its devotional value to someone or its lexio value. Mm -hmm. I was one time, I, I, I was one time with a, with a, a Christian thinker. He was a layperson, never been trained theologically at all. And he encountered um, a Bible scholar and he had just read this Bible scholar's book. And he said, you know, I, I wonder how God spoke to you through this. And the Bible scholar looked at him and went, man, I never thought of that. <laughs> and I thought, that's a colossal failure yeah. uh, if you're not listening to God when you're reading scripture. Uh -huh. So I, I, what I would say is I think that this person is asking the right question, uh -huh. and that is we need to become people who learn to read the Bible in different ways. So uh, with just our Bible open and our heart open to God in prayer, I think we need to read the Bible, whether we turn it into Lexio or more a traditional devotional reading where we're listening for God to speak to us. We need to do that, but we need also to learn to sharpen our intellectual skills and read the Bible and ask questions about history and context and larger themes and how this passage fits with that passage and how it fits with that Old Testament book. Um, so I would say uh, that there we need to develop this as a regular skill. Here's what I think happens at Northern because students are are commuters and they're trying to get grades and they're coming in to get a class. Uh, there is a little bit of an intellectual or academic approach to Scripture, mm -hmm. and I think that's how we teach. Uh, but at the same time, I think that if we do our job well, we will also bring in devotional thoughts, spiritual thoughts, um, how this text has significance for us today, what it would say to us about how to live the Christian life in our world. Uh, but I would, and we often begin with prayer. I 
I begin my cohort classes. Uh, we've been looking at Psalm 119 in these classes, and we we are going passage by passage, and it's a very devotional exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we need to model different ways of reading the Bible, and uh, it starts with leaders showing lay people and doing it with lay people, doing it themselves privately, and that I think can unfold into becoming exemplary for lay people learning to read the Bible in different ways. Yeah, you know, I know one simple approach that you gave us in the um, Jesus in the Gospels class that I had with you is when you talked about reading the Bible from the perspective of from before being like the historical um, elements, historical context going on in which the Bible was written from below, which is more the textual elements and criticism of the, um, you know, the, the differences that go into creating the, the Bible we have in our hands now, from um, after, which is the creeds and is the history of interpretation that um, sets the context in which we look through with our lens into the scriptures, and then that of above, which is more the, the devotional and the Lectio Divina type of reading the Bible. And if we take an approach, which is what you've described, in, in including all of those, we really have the most accurate understanding of what God's Word is and the message that He has, um, that He had to be delivered, that is still important and guiding for hmm. us today. I like those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, well, I got them from you, so um, yeah, hopefully that's helpful. Um, One thing, kind of in talking about the um, different maybe ways to read the Bible, um, within that, it's also important to read it from diverse perspectives. And I know we've seen some of this with with the um, feministic hermeneutic or, um, you know, one of a minority hermeneutic. And that's Harriet's question. She asked, how would you encourage people to read the Bible from diverse perspectives, from women and from people of color, etc.? What would you suggest? Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the great developments of the late 20th century. Uh, was was a not only a gradual awareness that our readings of Scripture are the readings mostly of European males, but at the same time there was um, an awareness or um, an instruction that different people have seen different things in the Scripture, and we need to listen to others who have read the Bible in different ways. So what I try to develop, you know, this is a part of Northern Seminary, but it's something I started doing when I was at North Park University, is um, because we had so many African-American students at North Park, um, I tried to get students to read a, a person that I liked to read was is Brian Blount. Uh, I think his book is called Then the Whisper Put on Flesh. It's not only uh, a great example of an African-American reading of Scripture, a liberationist reading of Scripture, but it is also an exemplary model for how an African-American approach to Scripture uh, illustrates uh, how different people hear the Bible differently. And when when, um, a white privileged male is sitting in a room with an African-American female, unprivileged in many parts of our culture, and they hear them read scripture and see different things, we all benefit 
Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, well, your reading of Scripture is, um, is so angular that it doesn't help me. No, we have to learn that Scripture is for all of us, and the Scriptures speak in different ways to different contexts. Um, I remember uh, teaching at, uh, years ago um, how different people understand the text of, let's just say, Jesus and the centurion's servant. And I remember uh, asking, how does a typical suburban evangelical church hear this text? How does an African-American hear this text? How does a charismatic Latin American hear this text? Now listen to this. The white evangelical type uh, suburban church hears in that text that we can be saved if we have faith. A Latin American charismatic perspective hears in that text that if we believe we can be healed. And I remember uh, I read this one time in an African-American pastor in Chicago that when an African-American reads this text, many of them hear instead uh, that Gentiles are included with Jews and there are no ethnic superiorities in the people of God in the kingdom. And, you know, it's easy to stereotype different right. readings. Uh, and, and that's what I've done. I've stereotyped because it, the stereotype in some ways fits. But even if it doesn't fit all, it represents different hearings of the same text mm-hmm. coming from different contexts. And so it's important for us to sit down and read the Bible with other people. We can do this now in books, the Women's Bible Commentary, the African-American uh, Commentary by Brian Blount and others called, the I think, The Stony Path We Trod. Um, there, there are, uh, Amy Jill Levine edited a series of books uh, in England on feminist commentaries of the Bible. All these things help us, the Africa Bible Commentary, the, there's a new, I think it's a Far Eastern uh, Bible commentary. These things, as I read them, there's a lot of overlap, but at the same time, there are distinctive things heard in the text that many times the privileged and the powerful do not hear, that the disprivileged and the lack of powerful do hear. So I believe that the key here is for us to gather with others and to listen to others how they have uh, and how they have read the Bible and what they're seeing and hearing. Yeah, you know, I got to say that's been one of the most valuable things for me in my time at Northern is the diversity of student population that we have that I had never experienced in my educational background, and that wasn't meaning I went to any, anywhere bad or, or that was trying to be exclusive, but just the reality was that I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that in my life. And what I experienced in being just in proximity, I think that's that goes an enormous amount of distance in being able to get better at that and just having having relationship with people who are different from you. And, um, you know, what's the old adage that you don't really understand somebody until you walk a mile in their shoes? And we really don't understand or see our own blind spots or misunderstandings unless we are in community, or at least proximity with people who are unlike us, I think, which is so important when it comes to reading the Bible. And you know, uh, one of the lessons we have to learn is in those settings is we need to become listeners 
rather than talkers. Right. And uh, it is in listening that we hear, and it is in hearing that we begin to appreciate uh, what others see and hear and the experiences they've had. And at the same time, they can expose our uh, blindnesses and they can expose our oppressive moments. Mm-hmm. They, can, they, can, they can expose our privilege. And those things I find highly significant. And uh, I'll give uh, one piece of bibliography. It's not easy to read, but for uh, pastors, leaders, and churches, thinkers, Anthony Thistleton, Tony Thistleton, A.C. Thistleton, wrote a book called New Horizons in Hermeneutics. And he has a big section in that book on socio-pragmatic hermeneutics. And it's not easy to read, but I can tell you it was life-transforming for me. And one time I was at an event and I saw Tony and I told him, I said, Tony, I like that book. It was hard to read, but I will tell you that that section, uh, that big a chunk of chapters on socio-pragmatics was a life-transforming experience for me in hearing how others are reading the Bible. So uh, I would recommend that book. That's great. So I've got one. Actually, I'll, I'll include both of these, and this will just be real two quick questions to end our, our time together for this first part of the episode. And they're just practical questions. And any suggestions for teaching this, meaning teaching the church to read the Bible, in lower income and lower education opportunity contexts? Well, to me, the the you know uh, the answer there is uh, is our expectations. I think sometimes we think that everybody's got to become a Bible scholar, and I do not believe that at all. I think that people need to become better Christians, and reading the Bible can help them become better Christians. But one of the things that we have to do as leaders and teachers and preachers and pastors in churches is to teach the Bible clearly, clearly enough for people who are not going to spend their week reading the Bible or reading about the Bible or reading academic books about the Bible or reading any kind of books about the Bible mm-hmm. or reading any kinds of books. I have friends, I have friends who say, I'm, I read a book in college and I'm not going to read another one. All right. Okay. What am I going to do with that? Say, well, then yeah. you can't be a Christian. Yeah. No, I think that we need to model how to read the Bible for those who are going to read it more. And I think we need to teach the clarity of the Bible so that people who are under our teaching and who hear us will hear the truth of the gospel and will know the basic message of the Bible and be able to live it. That's good. Anything else uh, specifically for high school students, maybe? I think that answer might be similar, but anything to add? Uh, You know, I don't teach high school students, so I think um, some of these basic, uh, simpler books, uh, I mean, I think King Jesus' gospel could be read by high school students. I mean, I know some high school students who have read it. Um, so I think that, uh, accessible books, uh, could be helpful here. And, and I'm hoping over the years that more and more of these will be produced. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, thanks, Scott, for letting me rapid fire these questions at you. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us today on the episode. We'll be back next time with more questions on the same topic that we have from this webinar on how to teach the church to read the Bible. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or the many different um, avenues that are out there. We're so grateful to have you do that, as well as when you're there. Um, if you could take a chance to review the podcast, that helps us out tremendously, and we always love to hear from you on, on your thoughts and, and what you think. So as uh, another reminder, if you want to check out the webinar, I've included the link to that in the show notes, as well as some of these different uh, resources that Scott has mentioned. So thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thank you.